So Money Episode 107, Stephanie O'Connell. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. How are you? Thanks for joining us. We have the Mindy Kaling of Personal Finance on the show. Stephanie O'Connell is a millennial money expert, author, and entrepreneur whose primary focus is keeping the discussion of finances simple, honest, and real. Stephanie's writing has earned her a reputation for practical frugality with storytelling and a commitment to living a big life on a small budget. She and her work have been featured on media outlets, major media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and USA Today. Her blog is called TheBrokeAndBeautifulLife.com. And through that, as well as her book and appearances, she hopes to spread financial literacy nationwide, empowering people of all ages, in all professions, and at all income levels to maximize their money and achieve financial freedom. A few takeaways from our time with Stephanie, the challenges and opportunities facing millennials today, how she coaches people to see that, as she says, a beautiful life is not something that's bought. It's something that's savored. I love that. And how a career in acting served as Stephanie's financial wake-up call. Here is Stephanie O'Connell. Stephanie O'Connell, welcome to So Money, the Mindy Kaling of personal finance. <laughs> yeah, that's a really flattering <laughs> title. <laughs> how, how did that happen? I think that's awesome. It came from a newspaper who reviewed my book. So when I read that, I was like, I'm putting that in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Can you like own that phrase? I mean, that is so money. I love it. I know. That's like exactly everything I want to be. She's my dream guest. And so oh, I, I feel like through you vicariously, I'm, I am channeling Mindy Kaling in, oh, in finance that's, world. That's a lot to live up to. <laughs> uh, but you're also a dream guest because you really speak to my audience. I think I, I, I surveyed my audience recently, found out that a lot of people listening are millennials as it is, and you are in the trenches and uh, focus on millennials as uh, an audience to help. What do you think is the biggest challenge uh, the 20-somethings, early 30-somethings face right now? I think it's balancing the uh, unique financial demands like the massive student loans with the unique uh, challenges of their employment. So millennials are notoriously un- and underemployed, and so they're balancing really high debt loads with really um, – insufficient income. So it's created a new kind of challenge that we really haven't seen before. And the other implication of that is not only is the income lower, but a lot of millennials don't have access to employers who are offering benefits like retirement and health care. So that's a big onus to put on a 20-something who just graduated college who doesn't have an HR department to kind of help them get on their way. They're kind of responsible for everything the moment mm-hmm. they get out the gate. It is a challenge. On the flip side, there are opportunities to not uh, getting this welcome reception to the traditional nine to five world because it does make you stop and think about how to reinvent your career path, how to think outside the box. And if you can get 
if you can be successful at that at a young age, I think that sets you up for success so much in the future. You know, my brother, for example, he's 24, um, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Todd, if you're listening, uh, he's 24 and he has never had a full-time job where he's had benefits or a 401k. He's completely been freelance since graduating from school. And it's actually been something that he has learned to really love and appreciate because he can make his own schedule. He can actually make more money this way. Of course, he has to pay for some things out of his own pocket, like um, you know, retirement health insurance, things like that. Um, so it's got its challenges, but also there are opportunities where now he has kind of a lot of more freedom and his network is just so much bigger than if he was working in a cubicle, right, in a, in a traditional company. So uh, that would be my advice to millennials to sort of like seize the moment, you know? I mean, yes, there's like so much going on that it seems unbelievable and overwhelming, but let's look at some of the opportunities that you can tackle as well. Yeah, I think you're dead on with that. I've had um, a similar experience to your brother and uh, I think it's kind of a matter of what perspective you take. I think it's really easy easy to fall into the trap of being a victim because yes, like we do have some challenges thanks to, I know I graduated in 2008 from college that was like, oh my gosh, could I have had worse timing? But it's kind of what forced me into really doing the same thing your brother did and looking for new opportunities and creating my own employment and um, creating my own network, as you said, using the unprecedented resources we also have access to. So while we have big challenges, we also have things like the internet and micro entrepreneurship and so many things where you have very little startup cost to create um, a, a really huge enterprise on your own. So yeah, it's all about how you look at it. Talk about the broken, beautiful life. I love that title. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of Susie Orman's, like, The Broken Fabulous, whatever she had. Right, yeah, it was right. very popular. Um, but I love that it's coming from in, in, your, in your voice as someone who is, as I said, in the trenches with these millennials that you're coaching. Um, how has the book gone, and, and what has been the reception to the book? The book's been really great because... I think it's it's been hard for millennials to identify with some of the personal finance literature in the past and coming from, like you said, the trenches and having that had that experience and really divulging that in all of its messiness and reality, uh, it, it's created a response that people don't tune out when I start talking numbers. They're like, okay, yes, we share this story and I'm with you. And when I start going into like the details of what to do next, even though that information is really similar across the board, uh, because we've already connected on the experience level, it, they're taking that information. Like I, I seem to have found uh, a way to package the information in a way that will actually resonate with some of the people who are reading my book, which I'm so excited about because I get emails saying, you know, you inspired me to like open a, a Roth IRA and I fully funded it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a total, total win. And I knew you knew you needed to do that before, but the fact that you actually did it, that you read the book and it inspired action, like I couldn't have had a better result, you know? What's the secret to your your writing? Uh, unabashed honesty. <laughs> Self-deprecation. Because <laughs> yeah. we've all been there. And sometimes we're still making the mistakes that we are telling people to avoid. Yeah, totally. And I, I think I'm just totally real with it. Like, I know that I'm not perfect. And I think we all know we're not perfect, but I don't know that we're all willing to plaster it around the internet. And I am. And if that helps people and myself in the process, then that's a win. 
What's your financial philosophy, Stephanie? A money mantra that carries through all of your financial choices and is is a pretty conscious kind of tenet of your financial life. Yeah. So obviously my whole side and book is The Broken Beautiful Life. And so my philosophy is that a beautiful life isn't something that's bought. It's something that's savored. And I really believe that because I've been, uh, you know, living in New York City for almost 10 years and people think of it as such an expensive place. And I live here on the cheap and it's because I'm not going out and doing the $3,500 average rent and the, you know, $25 average entree dinner. I'm doing it all on the cheap because I don't equate uh, quality with price, I find value in everything by appreciating what I already have and what's already available. There's so many resources here. There's so much wonderful stuff uh, to discover every day and it doesn't have to cost anything or if it does cost something, it doesn't have to cost a lot. And as you teach these younger adults about that, isn't that challenging? Because I feel as though it's very overwhelming and tempting to be young and perhaps living in a city and I always say you want what you can't have and so when you're broke and beautiful and 25 (laughs) you want the Chanel bag you want you know what you think what you what you want is like all the material stuff that's shiny and pretty yeah how do you convince them that that no actually is not what you value well, the focus has to be on on what the goals are. As soon as you can get people regrounded in what their bigger picture goal is, rather than like what's shiny and pretty right in front of them, it's much easier for them to stay grounded in making better financial choices. So, um, one thing I tell people to do is, you know, carry around visual re- visual reminders of uh, what those big picture goals are. You know, if if they're trying to take a vacation, uh, fund a vacation next year, or um, max out their retirement accounts this year, I say, so what could you like put in your wallet and wrap around your credit card that can kind of ground you when you're faced with temptation? Mm -hmm. I know I did that when I went to Europe. I was like, all right, I want to go to Europe and I have a really bad habit of picking up food on the go because I live in New York and you're running around, food is everywhere. And I just wrapped this picture of Amsterdam around my credit cards and it was like my little reality check anytime I was about to make an impulsive purchase. I was like, all right, this is the trade off. Are you willing to make it or are you aren't or are you not? And sometimes I am willing to make it, but it's just being mindful uh, in the moment so that things aren't automatic and, and you're really considering those bigger picture goals. Yes. And now with your phone, you can put a picture up on the phone. You can, you know, there's a lot of ways to have constant reminders for yourself about what Abs- actually is important. Absolutely. Did you grow up being so smart about money or did you have an experience that kind of changed your life or at least your mindset about money at a young age. I like to go down memory lane with my guests and ask, you know, what was your biggest financial memory growing up? How did it alter your course? Well, I think I came from upper middle class family. So, um, really I didn't think about money much because when, you know, you have it, you don't realize it, uh, because it's not really yours, it's your family's. Uh, and then you go out on your own. And and that was kind of like my wake up call was when, I went to college and then graduated college and then I majored in acting. So uh, the reality of that lifestyle was definitely my wake up call and it was definitely a little bit more recent than like let's say in my five year old memory of it but it was certainly jarring because I was working um, 
you know, big shows uh, and touring companies and in New York City and in Madison Square Garden. And, and even when I had hit it big, my salary was around $500 a week. And that really wasn't going to cut it. So that kind of served as the wake up call to say, okay, if you have this money, how are you going to make it stretch? And then obviously that even alone when you're working isn't enough. What else can you do? How else can you add value and find alternate sources of income to create a lifestyle that is more sustainable uh, than the starving artist lifestyle you've been living? I love that. So were you a little heartbroken though to leave acting? Because that's such a passion to follow, I, I I think I was a big theater rat in high school and college, and I just I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then you're right, the the financial reality is sobering. Um, yeah, it's also a little heartbreaking because you're like, man, this is what I want to do. <laughs> you know, I don't know where I stand with it at this point. To be honest, I um, it is hard to to think about leaving the theater forever. I don't know that I've really come to terms with the fact that I'm going to do that or not do that. Um, but I found that um, what what creates happiness evolves. And I think what happens with people in theater is they get so laser focused on what this one idea of happiness is to them. And I, I'm sure it also applies to anyone who's following like a passion of some kind. And when you're like 19 or 18, you're like, yes, this is all I want to do. And this is all that will make you happy. But like 10 years go down the line and like other things come up. And I think you really need to be open to those opportunities and uh, seeing what's beyond that little tunnel vision you have of your dream because what I see is a lot of people with that single-minded pursuit and it makes them miserable and they're not financially happy they're not financially stable they're not personally happy uh, and they're really struggling so I I don't say I've sworn off theater completely but it's not my sole focus anymore Hmm. yeah uh, me too. I, I love going to Broadway shows, and but then I'm like, wow, I don't really like watching these musicals anymore. <laughs> it's like this was really like all I could think about in high school and college. I would go around singing like Sondheim music, and now it's like, okay. So you're right. <laughs> Happiness is something that evolves. I, I love that quote. Yeah. Uh, failure, Stephanie. I want to talk about your biggest financial failure. What did you learn? Ooh biggest financial failure that's that's hard um i think it was just i i used to be kind of a pushover uh, my mom is a really strong personality and she's totally awesome but i remember feeling like i always needed to compensate for her high demands when we were in uh situations where you know service was unacceptable or whatever and i think that when I started uh, to live my life independently, I kind of took the opposite approach of my mom. And what happened was that like people walked all over me and they took advantage of me and it had financial consequences. So like if something wasn't up to par, I wouldn't say anything. And I would feel pressured into buying things by salespeople because I, I didn't want to be difficult and I didn't want to create a problem. And I realized real quick that that is just a bad way of approaching life. So I kind of reassessed because that could, uh, over the course of a lifetime probably cost me hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, as I always say, you got to be your biggest financial advocate because no one's going to care more about your money than you. You're right on with that. 
How about success? Let's flip it. What was a financial so money moment that you're really proud of? What happened? What did you learn? I think uh, creating my own business, The Broken Beautiful Life, and uh, building an entirely alternate stream of income. Like I said, I majored in and acting and I was a professional actress uh, and I now make a living writing about finance. So I know that that's a very bizarre transition, but I'm super proud of it uh, because I'm now making more money than I ever have. And I really learned to leverage my skill set. And I think that's something that people don't do enough of. They don't realize how adaptable they can be if they challenge themselves and if they challenge themselves to continue learning all the time. If you're always learning and always figuring out new ways to apply the skills you already have to new information, you really increase your opportunity for success so much. I cannot agree more. That's so true. What's a habit of yours, Stephanie, a so money ritual that helps keep your finances in check? It could be uh, something daily. It could be something less frequent, but it is conscious. Yeah, so I'm a, a spreadsheet lover, uh, and what I like to do is is track all my spending down to the penny and all my earnings down to the penny. And I also use budgeting uh, software uh, so what I then do is cross-check all of my spreadsheets against all of my software, and then I'm like checking my net worth and my spending and like seeing where we're at. It, it's so nerdy, but I love it. It's kind of like my own personal finance contest with myself. Like, can I best myself? <laughs> and it's really made me like awesome with my money. So I, my nerdiness pays off. <laughs> well, and also it sounds like you're really like triple, quadruple checking your math. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now that I all my income is from freelance, it's so easy to lose track of. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got payments coming in from all different places and all different uh, kinds and forms, like some in the mail, some direct deposit, some PayPal. So if I don't keep track of it, I don't know what would happen. Right. No, that's a very, very good point. Yeah. Okay, we're almost wrapped here. Before we go, some so money fill in the blanks. <laughs> Where I start a sentence and you finish it, first thing that comes to mind. Ready? Mm-hmm. If I won the lottery tomorrow, say $100 million, the first thing I would do is... Take a trip around the world. All right. For <laughs> a year, for six months, I guess that would take a, that would take some time. I think a year. I mean, obviously it wouldn't cost $100 million, but, uh, you know, a little piece of it, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> the one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Uh, my uh, tech support for my website. It would take me forever to do it on my own. Oh, yeah. My husband's a software developer. and Oh, I'm so jealous. No, but sometimes <laughs> I, need, I, need, I need third-party help. Yeah. It gets that to be that bad. My laptop, by the way, is like just crying every day like (laughs) there's it's slow it's like please stop typing on me um I don't want to buy a new one but I think I have to Uh, yeah I was there two years ago (sighs) I caved yeah my biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is food I love food I mean it's so bad but New York I mean we have like every kind of cuisine and like the best of the best of the best so I can't I can't control myself (laughs) This is probably the most popular answer to that question, by the way. Uh, All right. I'm glad I'm not alone. (laughs) My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on, besides food, is? 
lemon. Yes, okay. <laughs> I usually ask for gift cards for occasions, so I don't spend too much of my own money, but uh, yep, sometimes it gets me. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Every Christmas I ask for the same two gift cards, Lululemon and Sephora, because I could really <laughs> do some damage in Sephora on my oh, own yeah. dime. I'd like to go in there with some gift cards, if you don't mind. Yes, please. Uh, one thing I wish I'd known about money growing up is... Uh, I just wish I knew how expensive, like, the mundane stuff was, I guess. You know, I, every time I order, like, toilet paper or paper towels or all this stuff, it blows my mind how expensive it is. And I just I just wish I knew to be prepared for, like, to, to spend all my money on what is going to be really the mundane. That's a really <laughs> good point. Yeah, we think of, like... The big stuff, obviously, is carrying big price tags, your home, your car, your education. Right. But food is expensive. Coffee is expensive. It adds up. The little things add up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because? So uh, I ran uh, the marathon two years ago for Fred's team, which uh, is Memorial Sloan Kettering's charity. So I like to support friends who are doing things like that when they're uh, running for a cause or biking for a cause or raising money for something. So uh, generally to help people I know in a cause that they're supporting. Do you draw the line anywhere? Because I think that um, sometimes if you be, if you're that friend who's very generous, you get yeah. you get t- approached left and right. Hey, I'm doing this bike marathon. Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna do this dance marathon for sickle cell anemia. Like, then where do you where, do you have a budget for for donations? Yeah, well, I like to set aside five percent of everything I earn, not just for donations, but for giving in general. So that would include both donations and like birthday gifts, wedding gifts, things like that. Um, And so within those parameters, you know, it's going to vary month to month depending on what other occasions I have going on. But uh, giving a little to uh, more people I find to be more gratifying than Mm -hmm. necessarily giving a lot to one or two people. Yes. And finally, I'm so money because... I am so money because I feel empowered by my finances for the first time in a long time. You know, I was an actress who was struggling with money. I was a starving artist, signature starving artist, and I have um, created sources of income and a business and a book and uh, implemented tracking and savings and retirement funding, and I'm just... I'm just feeling possibility and freedom and like I can breathe because everything is in order and it's it's so money. So money indeed. Isn't breathing nice? Isn't it it nice nice. to inhale and exhale without stress? (laughs) A hundred percent. Stephanie O'Connell, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Farnish. Thanks so much to Stephanie for being my guest today. For all the latest news and updates about her, check out stephanieoconnell.com. The book is called The Broke and Beautiful Life. And for the transcript from this interview, just go on to somoneypodcast.com. And there, of course, you can also 
Ask Me a Question. Every weekend, I dedicate Saturday and Sundays to answering your questions submitted through the site. Hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and ask away. And if you'd like to get a one-on-one with me, a free 15-minute money session, hop on to iTunes, leave a review for this show, and maybe you'll get selected. Every Saturday, I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So if this is something that you'd like to explore, do uh, leave a review and hopefully we will connect. Thanks so much again for tuning in and to my guest, Stephanie O'Connell, for joining us. Hope your day is so money.